Welcome to the Shift Your Paradigm podcast, where we embark on a journey of self-discovery and transformation. I'm your host, Jackie Bonjavani, a yoga instructor, meditation teacher, and wellness coach. Get ready to unlock new levels of awareness, gain profound insights, and shift your paradigm to create the life you've always dreamed of. Let's dive in. In this next episode, I had the honor of sitting down with Robert Mack, who is a celebrity happiness coach and dear friend of mine that I had the privilege of meeting along my journey. And if you know Rob, his presence is just so captivating and his story is just even more beautiful. And I couldn't not have him on my podcast. So we talk about all things happiness, especially that only 10% of your happiness depends on your external circumstances. And um, I also want to take this moment to disclose that we do talk about suicide and references to self-harm and want to let you know in advance so you can make an informed choice about listening today. And if you or someone you know is struggling, please reach out for support and know that you're not alone. Awesome. So welcome, Rob Mack. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you for saying yes. I'm so excited to have you here. How could I not say yes? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's just, it's such a privilege to have you here as a positive psychology expert, celebrity happiness coach, best-selling author. Um, and I'm just really personally excited about you because I remember the first time we met, there was just like this instant connection in your story and your life and just kind of the person you are is just so captivating. And I'm just, just so honored to have you here. It's so, so mutual, Jackie. I'm, you know, <laughs> it takes one to know one. It takes light to recognize light and everything you just shared is a perfect reflection of you. Um, yeah. The first meeting and every meeting since, and every time we've connected, I've just felt um, inspired and uplifted and deeply grateful to know you. And I just feel honored um, and so privileged um, to be in conversation with you and to know you um, and have you as a friend. Uh, so thanks for having me, truly. Thank you. So sweet. So speaking of best-selling author, you wrote Happiness from the Inside Out like over 10 years ago, which is a beautiful book. And you recently released about last year, I believe, Love from the Inside Out. Tell me a little bit about yeah, that journey. Yeah, it was, um, I think I have learned most things the hard way <laughs> you know, I prefer <laughs> to lose, you know, learn things the easy way. Um, happiness from the inside out was really inspired by my personal life experience of being deeply unhappy. I was depressed and anxious and self-loathing, self-hating. I think since I was born, at least it felt that way. And I always thought I'd grow out of it. That didn't exactly happen. As I got older and I did well academically and athletically, even socially and relationally and financially at some point, my life seemed to get worse on the outside, mm. objectively. Um, I mean, it get better you know, on the outside, objectively, but I felt worse for it subjectively on the inside. And I couldn't understand why life would get better, but I would feel worse for it. And so I didn't grow out of the depression and the um, self-loathing and the self-hate. Um, and the anxiety and the stress, it just became worse. And I got to a place where I was deeply, um, you know, seriously suicidal. Um, so, you know, I, at that point I did some research and I decided I was going to um, 
you know, slash my wrist is what I ultimately decided. And uh, I went to the kitchen. I remember getting a kitchen, so the steak knife. And, um, you know, I dug it into my wrist. I still have the suicide test marks um, there to this day, you know. And um, the strangest thing happened, you know, without anything in my external conditions or circumstances changing at all. You know, I had a pretty good life. You know, I had a wonderful girlfriend. I had an incredibly um, you know, well-paying job. You know, I graduated from a great school. My family was healthy. I was healthy. Despite all of that, I was deeply depressed. And when I dug this knife into my wrist, I felt peace, like real peace for the mm-hmm. first time in my life. And I even felt joy and uh, self-love or love. Um, I couldn't tell the difference. It just felt like a lot of love, you know. So I decided to postpone the suicide for like 10 minutes at the time. Uh, that felt like a very tall, ambitious goal. I didn't think I could last 10 minutes, but in that mm-hmm. 10 minutes, I began to do a different kind of research, sort of, you know, around what is happiness, what is depression, what is unhappiness, what are the differences? Um, and that 10 minutes turned into now, it's been a couple decades. And in that time I wrote Happiness from the Inside Out, um, it's sort of sprang from that experience. Um, as well as the experience of sharing that, um, you know, experience with others through my coaching practice and through my psychology practice. Um, so that's really where happiness from the inside out came from. Over the years, as um, things unfolded, you know, I've been very blessed and lucky and fortunate to you know, book some TV stuff. And because I was working in the entertainment space at the time to pay for the graduate school, uh, lots of folks thought and still think about happiness, and they immediately connected with love and relationships and dating which is understandable, but it's also a logical fallacy. <laughs> and, um, you know, I discovered there were lots of false premises that we've, we all have um, about happiness and about love. And so that led me or inspired me to write Love from the Inside Out to sort of clarify those things for myself and for other people too. Wow. That's so beautiful. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I love conversations with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean... Well, one, like, thank you for sharing all of that. I truly, it's just so moving and so powerful. And to see where you are today and to see what you've done for yourself and how you've supported yourself and also supported so many other people through your message, through your work, through just your mere existence is is so incredible. Um I mean, I struggled on and off with clinical depression my entire life. So it's, I'm very familiar with it. And I guess my immediate question is, are there times where you find yourself, even though you know all that you know, and you have this higher knowing and you're connected, do you have these moments where you kind of can feel yourself like falling down that like things are getting a bit darker. Like, okay, I'm not getting out of bed today. What's going on? Do you still experience that or have you? Um, So that's a great question. What a powerful question. And also I just want to, um, I want want to honor what you said there, um, Jackie. I believe like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that um, beautiful people don't just happen. You know, that Mm. the most beautiful people we know have suffered with um, trials and tribulations and travesty. And um, they found their way out of the darkness you know, and they've developed and cultivated a sensitivity to life um, that has made them extraordinarily and exceptionally beautiful. And uh, you are no exception. You're a perfect um, you. model of that kind of beauty that Elizabeth Ross um, talks about. So um, you know, I just want to honor that. 
hundred percent. Um, you know, I experienced the entire, um, spectrum of emotions. Um, the difference is I don't spiral or spin out like I did or anything close to that. Um, thankfully, mm. um, I occasionally, um, sometimes more than occasionally notice thoughts that, um, aren't constructive or supportive or healthy or happy or desirable. And, uh, because I've been practicing it for so long, I notice them really quickly and then I mm. mostly dismiss or ignore them. You know, occasionally, sometimes they're a little stickier, but <laughs> I don't find, um, I don't, I don't have days where I don't want to get out of bed. Um, unless I'm just tired and want to enjoy being in bed. Um, there aren't mm -hmm. days where I don't, don't um, fantasize about suicide anymore um, or think that that will, um, that that's a necessary um, option for me at this point. So I definitely experience some, um, you know, entire range of emotions um, like everyone else. Uh, the difference is I'm not attached to them in the same way. I have a different relationship with them than I did when I was mm -hmm. you know, 20 or 30. I'm able to notice them kind of the way you do the clouds in the sky and let them dissipate and dissolve on their own. You know, I don't need to get in there and do a whole lot of work around it. I just notice that it's there. Okay. Let me bring my focus and attention back to this moment. You know, this step, mm. this breath, this person, you know, I don't need to be lost in discursive thought um, or lost in emotion like the way that I used to be. Um, but no question about it. I think as Ramana Maharshi said so beautifully, um, vigilance will be required our entire lives. And so um, I think that's true for all the greatest spiritual teachers and teachers in general, Eckhart Tolle and Esther Hicks and Rupert Spear and Muji and all these folks, right? Um, there's still vigilance that's required. It becomes increasingly easy and effortless over time. Hmm. So thank you. Are you, would you say with your experience, so it sounds like writing happiness from the inside out was like very cathartic and very healing in so many ways. Is there a defining moment from like Right. I feel like we're, if we're on a timeline, like before happiness from the inside out, there, there's a there's something in there that really supported you in in the shift. So I think we'll start there. And then I'm curious about after happiness from the inside. Yeah, out. Um, I will. I, I would love to say there was this pivotal moment where everything shifted. You know, it's kind of like that moment when Eckhart Tolle had to his great awakening and he all of a sudden found himself on park benches, but he's blissed out, you know, that kind of thing. Or I think Ramana Maharshi yeah. had an experience where he did like a death meditation and he woke up out of it, you know, completely sort of enlightened and awake. For me, for me it's been much more gradual um, process. There have been highlights and there have been moments along the way. Um, certainly a suicidal moment um, was one where I suddenly had this recognition that, wow, I'm feeling peace and joy and love despite my outside circumstances not changing. Uh, what's that about? That was a huge one. Um, but I've had these little epiphanies and insights and downloads along the way that have allowed um, that, I guess, initial recognition to deepen and then to be integrated into my life um, and my work over and over again. Mm. Uh, but I'd say that, um, yeah, that's where it started. So happiness from the inside out sort of came from that. And I think that experience itself um, was the beginning there was also a moment where I remember waking up one day and discovering that I hadn't thought about suicide for like a day or two, which was wild because oh I thought about suicide and killing myself dozens of times a day. I thought about it more than anything or anyone else in the world. So 
when I woke up to that recognition, like, oh, it's been a couple of days. <laughs> I haven't really thought about killing myself. That's, that's interesting. Uh, that was another shift. Uh, and then, you know, along the way, I've had a few others. I think the most significant pivot or shift was just the decision that I was going to either live as blissfully as humanly possible or not at all. It was a real mm. focus. It was a real laser sharp focus, like a single mindedness in the pursuit of happiness that eventually became, you know, resting in and as happiness. There's a difference there. But that, but that single mindedness, I think, of focus, sort of like when your head is being held underwater and you're like, I'm going to live, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. That kind of single mindedness was really the, probably the primary shift that led to everything else, I think. It's so like there's such determination, such grit, and yeah, and, and it wasn't particularly. Um, it didn't have a whole lot of direction, you know. It was painless, <laughs> you know. I was, I was creating the will from scratch, and uh, I felt like I learned a lot of it just by sort of trial by error over time. Eventually, I discovered um, that there were way smarter people than me out there in the world <laughs> that had studied this and dedicated, um, invested blood, sweat, and tears to sharing their own experience and what they discovered about both the art and science of happiness. And so I learned to learn from those smarter people. And that made a ton of, I mean, that was a huge, huge um, difference that that made. Mm. Yeah. I feel like we start searching for the, for the answers. And um, so this, I imagine after happiness from the inside out, you no, before when did you take positive psychology? Uh, yeah, so I was I so I <laughs> that book has gone through so many iterations. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, hard for me to even remember. But I wrote the book first, and then a few years later, um, positive psychology was born out of University of Pennsylvania and Martin Seligman's work. You know, before that, I was looking and saying, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Actually, like I didn't love. I was doing a management consulting job. I didn't love the work. I loved the people. And I eventually left that and I went, um, sort of stumbled into entertainment. I um, was walking along Lincoln Road one day. I didn't have a job, couldn't really pay my rent. And some uh, guy came up to me and said, hey, you ever modeled before? And I thought he was joking for sure. You know, like, I was like, oh, God, this guy's going to make fun of me. He's going to say something. You know, I don't know what's going on here. And uh, I was polite. But then I said, no, I'm probably not really a good fit for that. And then it happened again a week later with someone else. And then I thought, well, I need to pay my rent. Maybe I can fool them for two weeks or so and <laughs> get through another month. And that lasted for about, you know, 10 years. Um, but in that wow. period of time, I discovered uh, the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program at University of Pennsylvania. I matriculated into it, graduated from it. And uh, that added an entirely new level and, uh, you know, sort of a lot of context to the work I was already doing. Hmm. I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in a room with everyone just talking about life and how to be positive and like where does happiness come from and how do we stay happy? Like I just, I feel like that's so beautiful and such an experience. Jackie, it's everything. You nailed it. I mean, this is why I adore <laughs> conversations with you and cherish them so much. Um, so many of our conversations revolve around that, health and happiness and peace and love and joy. And um, yes, it's spectacular. You know, it, you're, it, it makes you wonder why the rest of the world, uh, you know, isn't always on board with that because it's just such a inspired, uplifted, uh, 
joyful experience itself just to talk about it just just to talk about it you can makes you happier makes you more joyful right yeah right I love that and I love to the whole concept of like your circumstances don't need to change because I think that's only what 10 percent of actually what makes you happy yes oh I love that you remember that um, <laughs> but it's I feel for me like when I went through my most recent there was this a bit of awakening of like no thing or nothing needs to change because I am changing. And I really sat there and was like, all right, like, because I feel when we start to get to that point, we are like, okay, I need a new job. I need a new relationship. I need to move houses. And it's like, I mean, I picked up and moved to San Diego at one point in my life. So it's, it's so easy to be like, oh, it needs to be an external change. But that knowing that it's only 10%, you're like, oh, whoa. Yeah. You, you can never get enough of something that you really don't want or need. Um, you know, And that doesn't mean that we don't want the new car, the new relationship, the new kids, um, the new life, the new city, the new job, new money. Um, it's great. It's wonderful. It's also only icing on the cake. It's only icing on the cake. Uh, the cake is happiness itself. When you get the cake, the icing follows, right? So when you're able to discover happiness, success follows. Um, but more than that, happiness is the greatest success. It's the reason we want success. Um, it's the greatest wisdom. It's the reason we want wisdom. It's the greatest health. It's the reason we want health. It's the greatest love. It's the reason we want love. What good is love if it's unhappy? I'd say unhappy love isn't even love. You know, it's just unhappiness and we have enough of that. So you nailed it. It's so tempting to believe that if we can just change our lives on the outside, we'll feel better for it on the inside. And there's a small sliver of truth to that. If you're living in abject poverty, if you're, um, you know, in some horrible um, experience in your life, um, you've got some disease, you're in chronic pain, um, you don't have enough money to pay basic necessities, um, more money will mean more life satisfaction. Life satisfaction doesn't equate to or equal happiness. It's slightly different. Um, happiness is a peaceful aliveness that is unconditional, it's unreasonable, uh, meaning that it uh, passeth understanding, it passeth reason and logic. It makes no sense. How can you be joyful and peaceful? The world is going to hell in a handbasket kind of thing, you know? Um, how can you be peaceful and happy and even feel rich and successful on the inside when you haven't written any books, you haven't produced any movies, you're not super famous or super rich, you know? How can you feel that way on the inside? So yes, um, science does a lot to support that. We all know based on our own experiences that we've sometimes had a lot of money and sure we love money, I'm for everybody having lots of money, but we've had money and we've been miserable occasionally. And we've not had money and we've been happy occasionally. And that's all you need to know to know that happiness, true happiness, isn't tied to or attached to any of those external circumstances or conditions that you think it is. Science has backed that up mm -hmm. and said, look, there's a happiness formula. And to your point, Jackie, you said so eloquently, you know, only at best, at best, 10% of your happiness rating or score is attributable to external conditions and circumstances. Right? And that includes, by mm -hmm. the way, your health, which is kind of wild to imagine. So if you can imagine yeah. your perfect life, as many kids or as few kids as you want, as many partners or as few partners as you want, um, as much beauty as you want, as much money as you want, imagine living your greatest, wildest, most magnificent <laughs> dream, okay? That, all that together, only accounts for 10%. At best, I would argue that it's probably a lot less than that, but 10% of how happy or unhappy you are. Um, so I think Jim Perry wow. says it well when he said, um, I want everyone to become sort of rich and famous and accomplish all their dreams and goals and desires 
so they can finally realize it's not the answer. That doesn't mean to not go for your goals and desires and dreams. It just means not sure. to hit your happiness to it. Uh, you can be happy anyway. You can be happy without what you want. And if you can do that, I promise you, it's going to increase the likelihood and the speed at which you get what you want. I love just how knowledgeable you are and you've done your research. And it's amazing to hear because I feel like I have these things that I know, but I should be better about knowing where I found them per se. But it's the um, what I really find fascinating about that is the celebrity. And I was always fascinated with like I saw Elvis and I for some reason that movie just blew me away and I was sitting there and just sitting with it like it doesn't matter like I feel like we live in this world of oh when I get the car when I have that relationship or when I'm making a million dollars a year then then it'll happen that and just yeah, it's mind blowing to me and it's really supported me on my own journey of not seeking it outside. Not, I mean, I was very career driven and I was, I would say like in a good place. And I remember just sitting there being like, is this, is this it? And I wasn't like celebrity status or anything of that nature, but it was just a moment of, is this it? This is, this is what I live for. And it really started me to, to dig deep and be like, why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, you said that so well, and um, no reason to remember the source. It all comes from the same source, right? <laughs> the channel. No reason to remember the channel. It comes from the same source. Um, so there's that. Uh, also, boy, when you first said Elvis, I thought this going to go. This conversation was going to go an entirely different path. I'm like, you saw him in real life. You're not old enough to have saw Elvis in real life. I was totally, you know, lost there for a second. And you're absolutely right. You what a great movie. And also, to your point, uh, yes, celebrity especially, right? Um, you know, I, I did a show on E! as you know, um, for a couple of years, of famously single. And, um, you know, the challenge there is that, you know, there are different levels of fame. Most people think, well, um, if you're famous or more popular, that your life um, is automatically better. In lots of ways, for lots of people, it's not. It's actually uh, much worse. At least they experience it as much worse, right? Um, it's a magnifying glass, fame and money and celebrity, all those things are magnifying glasses. So it just magnifies what's already there, what you're already feeling. If you're happy and you get money and you get, you'll probably be a little happier. If you're unhappy, then you get a lot, lot, lot less happy, right? So um, you're right about that. It's um, good to just do a deep dive into your own life as you did so beautifully, Jackie. Like that's so, so wise to look into your past and say, okay, when I got the new car, when I got that person I was pining for, when I finally, I don't know, started feeling healthy, how long did that happiness last? You know, if um, happiness was caused by getting what you wanted, we'd have to all admit that we'd be happy already. We'd be lastingly, meaningfully, and abundantly happy already. Just look at the end of our lives. and. If you, we look at our lives, we can think about all the things that we now have that we once didn't have, that we would have prayed for, begged for, stolen, you know, robbed for. Right. Yet. <laughs> and yet, most of us have to admit that we're barely, if, any, if at all, in some cases not at all, and less so, happier than we've ever been. I mean, most, very few people could say that they're happier as a result of achieving and accomplishing and acquiring all the stuff they've achieved, accomplished, and acquired. 
And that's not an argument against achieving, accomplishing, acquiring things. It's just saying if you're looking for happiness in stuff or success, no matter how you define it, you're looking in the wrong place. You're going to the hardware store for milk. Mm. So how, this is for like a listener, but also personally curious, how do you look inside? What does that look? Because you're saying it's not externally. Okay, well, it's internally. So what do I, what do I do? How do I cultivate that? Yeah. So I'm, I've done my best. I'm a big believer in simplifying things. Um, Albert Einstein said, if you can't say it simply, you haven't understood it well enough. You don't know it well enough. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking this through. I'd say there are four steps. The fourth step is the direct path. It's the lazy, intelligent path. Um, sometimes the other steps are necessary to get there. Um, so the first step is just doing happier things. Just identify your happiness islands. Activities you love for their own sake. They're intrinsically rewarding or, or, or motivating. Um, try to do more of them. Very simple. Just try to do more of them. Okay. Um, in, the, in, the, in that process, you'll, you'll identify things that you hate doing, that you don't like doing at all, that you have to do or feel like you have to do, um, that you only do because they get you something else. Those are what we call your happiness deserts. Um, try not to do those things. Try to do as little of those things as possible. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of the opposite of the advice that your parents give you. But it's like, right? And, and there, there's sort of seven ways to do that. Um, with all this stuff or activities you don't enjoy for their own sake, the things that are only extrinsically motivating or rewarding, if even that. Try to reduce or eliminate first. So if you can stop doing it, do less of it, please do. If you can then outsource, delegate, pay someone else to do it, give someone else to do it. Automate or regulate. We automate our bill pay one click. Never have to think about it again. Mm. Regulate. Just do it once a month as opposed to several times a month. Or innovate. The innovation one is really how can I do this in a way that is more fun, more enjoyable. So that's mm. the first step is just do more happy stuff, do less unhappy stuff. Real simple. Okay. okay that, but that for most people, is their hearts, they have a hard time executing against that because there's this in, there's this belief lot of false premise we have that no pain no gain yeah. right like you got to torture yourself on the yes. way to happiness yes that hustle culture mentality yeah. i need to work hard and blood sweat and tears and yeah right and you can see where that's got most of us right yeah. <laughs> you each other yeah. and upset at yourself so um that's the first level at some point you graduate beyond that not that you stop doing happy things it's just that you are sometimes doing something that you thought was a happy thing or a happy activity and you're not happy. You're feeling, you maybe feel really unhappy doing it. So then you say, okay, happiness isn't just happy activity or happy actions. It's also, of course, about the company you keep. So mm. I'm going to try to spend more time with people who are happy or encourage my happiness, meaning people who genuinely love me, and less, people, less time with people that don't do that. And uh, that's just the second step. Very simple. And that's where positive psychology really is of value. It tells us over and over again, relationships matter. Not just mm. or even mainly romantic relationships, but the connections and the friendships that you have with everyone else matter a great deal. So at some point, you graduate even beyond that. And you say, okay, I've done what I can in terms of sticking to happiness islands. I try to stick to happier loving people try to stay away from unsupportive people. And you're like, I still feel stressed out or anxious or overwhelmed or depressed. What's going on? And then you say, okay, happiness must be a state of mind. You know, it's about happy thoughts. So 
that's really where you start to get serious. That's kind of when you start to look inside, right? Now, you're no longer vetting conversations with yourself and other people, meaning your thoughts and then the words you share with other people. You're no longer vetting those things based only on whether or not it's true. But there is a war happening. That's true, you know? But I am sick. Okay, that's true. I do have zero dollars in my bank account. That's, okay, that's true. You don't only talk about or think about things because they're true. You think and talk about things when they're true and you do it from a better feeling perspective in a better feeling way. So you begin to tell the truthful, better feeling story to yourself and other people about everything and everybody just to feel better. So um, am I broke because I have zero dollars in my bank account or is it only up from here? Mm. Um, do I hate the rain and it makes for a bad day? Or do I love the sunshine and I'm looking forward to it being sunny again? Um, you know, was this person uh, toxic and terrible and mean to me? Um, and or was this person a perfect personal trainer for my unconditional peace, self-love and happiness? Right? So you begin to tell the truth for better feeling story. You do it just to feel good. And you um, only entertain, feed and fuel supportive, constructive, healthy, happy thoughts. And it is a practice, but as you practice, you make progress and eventually it becomes automatic. Hmm. Now, you eventually get to a place, <laughs> right, where you are doing that. But underneath that, you can still feel some anxiety, some stress, maybe some, maybe underwhelm, maybe overwhelm. Maybe you just feel, you might even feel depressed still. Like, What's going on? I'm doing all the right things. I'm spending time with the right people and I'm trying to do that, the right activities. But So then you become aware that happiness is both on one hand harder, but on the other way easier than all that. And that the only thing that gets in the way of happiness is overthinking. You, know, mm. you, you become aware that, that happiness is something that's always there within you, like kindness, like honesty, like fun. It's always there inside of you. But we've developed an attachment addiction to obsessive compulsive thinking. And we're just sure that we have to think our, our, our lives through over and over and over again. And uh, that in and of itself is problematic. So the last thing I'll say about that is, and we'll talk about how to do it, but the mind, the brain is a phenomenal problem-solving instrument. Phenomenal. I mean, the things that we're able to do, I mean, AI, I mean, the fact that I'm having this conversation with you thousands of miles away, yeah. your technology <laughs> is brilliant. It's mind-blowing. Um, and the brain, as great of a problem-solving instrument it is, is equally good at making trouble it's equally good if not better at being a troublemaker right and so we've got these mm. really cool you know laptops that are our brains with totally outdated primitive software <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's just doing donuts in the parking lot kind of thing yeah right? <laughs> so we want to learn how to quiet that mind and in the quiet at first it seems like it's boring and boredom but you discover is you just spend a little more time there. It's bliss. It's so mm. it's so blissful. It's so peaceful. And without trying, just love and peace and joy just emanates from you. And people feel it. This is why we like spending time with small babies. We like spending time in nature, you know, um, with other people who are uh, don't say a whole lot, but they're very peaceful. You sit in their presence and you just feel better. Yeah. So that's the four steps, um, the four phases. Uh, the fourth one you can go directly to. But most people really struggle with going directly to it. They kind of need to ramp up with the other steps first. Okay. Wow. 
That is beautiful and so concise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on like, it. I'm working on it all the time. <laughs> I just imagine the amount of research you've done and knowledge and people you've met and things that you've acquired in your own practice. Like, when did this all kind of accumulate? Oh, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> you know, I want to say, oh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But truly, it's always just like deepening and becoming, I think, clearer and clearer. My life actually mirrored that chronological, you know, the steps that I laid out. Um, and I was just led to one teacher after the next, after the next, or one epiphany or insight after the next, after the next. You know, it's like this ever unfolding um, series of revelations, I think, around it. And then you become increasingly um, aware of how stupid or ignorant, and, and I mean that in a loving way, that you were the whole time. You know, it's like, it's why you, see these, yeah. you know, like these like sculptures or pictures um, of like Buddha laughing. He's just laughing because he's just laughing that, oh my gosh, I complicated my life to no end. Yeah. We just complicate <laughs> our lives to no end. And if we look into nature, all of nature is perfectly blissful except for human beings. Only people make a problem out of their own existence, you know, that. Mm-hmm. Um, Birds and bees and the flowers and the rivers and the forest experience the same tragedies and misfortune, accident, um, sickness, death that we do as human beings, but they don't make a problem of it the way we do. You know, they don't pre-live it and then relive it, you know, and ruminate about it and then beat themselves up about it and then project them to other people about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Divorces about it. This whole thing, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, it's come gradually. Um, and what's fascinating is that when I look back, I realized the fourth step was revealed to me first. That, that was always, yeah. Wow. So when I stuck that knife into my wrist, at the time I couldn't receive it. But what happened there was that my mind was quiet for just a moment and I was able to taste that hmm, infinite, eternal wellspring of peace, love, and joy that exists within us and as us all the time. Just the clouds were out of the way and that eternal sunshine of the spotless mind came shining through. What a journey it's been. Yes. For both of us, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, with that, so there's, there's a big, there's a gap between happiness from the inside out and love from the inside <laughs> out within that. I mean, it sounds like you've done a ton of research. You've found spiritual things of that nature that have really supported you on this quest. So I, I'm curious where like love from the inside, like where did that idea, like, yeah, what was that leading like, journey? Yeah, that's like? a great question. Gosh. Um, so <laughs> my intention was to first be happy. And over time, people would ask me questions um, about happiness and stuff. They say, Rob, something seems different about you. You know, you don't seem so broody. Like, like you're brooding all the time. It's so dark. And, and um, yeah. And then I start to share a little. And as I began to share, I kind of came to the recognition through lots of conversations with really wonderful, beautiful friends and people in the world. And they said, oh, you should, I wonder if you could just have conversations with people about happiness Maybe talk about it, write about it or something, and then just like charge for it. <laughs> that'd be nice, wouldn't it? I was like, that'd be amazing. What is that called? Yeah. You know? And so eventually that's kind of what I did. But what's interesting is, and at the time I was working, you know, I was modeling and acting, and I had some um, really kind friends, um, some of whom were famous, and uh, they would refer me. And they'd say, hey, you should check out this guy. And, uh, you know, Bessie Bess- was one of them, and um, I just have infinite appreciation for her. And, um, 
the funny thing is people started thinking of me like Hitch though. You know, they, they, they didn't make the connection like happiness, but they immediately thought it's my partner, a lack of partner that's causing me unhappiness. So he must be a guy that talks about that. But I really couldn't have been less, I couldn't have been less interested in that. I knew nothing about that. I barely knew, you know, about happiness. So um, people thought of me as Hitch, like, oh, he is going to help solve your um, love dating relationship issues. And, um, you know, I would do what I could there, but I ultimately only talked about happiness. After a period of time, I just kept seeing the same themes and challenges pop up for people. And I kind of wanted to address them both for myself and for other people, like, I don't know about once and for all, but at least once fully. And then, you know, if I have to go in a few years later and make tweaks and updates, it's, hopefully I keep evolving. But yeah, love from the inside out sprang from a deep desire to unravel and help people see through the bad bill of goods we've been sold around love dating relationships, you know, and the ways in which we've, and we do consistently limit our experience of love every day, all day, needlessly, you know, we're all waiting for something or someone else to change before we feel deep, true, unconditional love. And uh, I think that's a mistake. Um, and there's no reason to beat yourself up for it, but uh, love is infinite. And it's uh, not just surrounding each and every one of us. It's what we ultimately all are made of. We're made of something called love. I sometimes call it life. Um, it's a felt oneness with life. When you feel your oneness with life, I call that love. Or when you're happy and you share that happiness with others, I call it love. Um, when mm. you're self-loving and you share that self-love with others, I call it love. Um, and what's interesting is when you do it, meaning you share, you can't help but share your happiness when you're happy. You get it all over everybody without trying kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And so um, when, you, when, when that happens, when you share it and you share it unconditionally without an expectation of reciprocity, you get it back tenfold, a hundredfold. You know, you can't help but get it back. You don't always get it back from the people that you gave it to, but you get it back nonetheless. And, and it's just, you know, you keep wanting to unload it and unburden yourself from, you know, from it, um, but you can't. And uh, it's beautiful. You know, it's wonderful just to live um, an increasingly love-filled life. I can't even imagine. You're like, okay, let's talk about happiness. And you're like, so my boyfriend? And yeah, no. Yes. <laughs> and what is it? Every single time. I'm like, oh, no. I'm going to have to explain. I'm like, well, you know, really, I'm just a, I focus on happiness. They're like, well, that's what, it, you know, that's what I want. But let's just talk about my girlfriend for a second. <laughs> yeah. like, is your girlfriend here? No, she's not here. I'll talk to you about you then. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's so good. And I, it's so beautiful too, because I feel very much so that what you're saying, like from happiness, happiness is love. And within the love, if we find that love for ourselves, we give that love to ourselves. I, I read a little, spoiler alert, I did read a little bit of your oh. book. Um, but if we tune into that piece of love within ourselves, we automatically attract more loving relationships, more loving partnerships. And the idea of self-love is so foreign, but I feel like we are also in a era where it, it's not so foreign anymore, but it's like, oh, I'm going to get a massage. That's self-love. When it's truly mm -hmm. like what I hear you saying is like holding compassion for yourself, loving yourself, knowing that you're doing the best that you can and 
loving you as you would a child or a partner. Oh, it's great. Wow, beautiful. That just that's a testament to all the work you've done, Jackie. That's precisely that's precisely right. There's um we have a body, but we are not a body. That's the disconnect for most of us, is we think of ourselves as a body. Some of us think of ourselves as a mind. We don't we aren't a mind. We have a mind, right? We aren't a body, mm. we have a body. That's a huge recognition. But as long as you think of yourself as a body, you'll think of self-love as taking care of the body, only taking care of the body. We, of course, want to take care of the body. No question about that. Right. Um, life is better if you do. Uh, but it doesn't end there. And it's not the primary focus of self-love. When you're a mind, you think it's mostly that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love reading and I love using my mind and I love great conversation. Um, self-love, uh, in the way that I describe it, um, requires us to first define the self. The self is something that is aware of the mind and knows it's not the mind. Something that's aware of the body, but also knows it's not the body. We might call it just consciousness or awareness itself. We call it um, true intelligence. We might call it life. We might call it the God within. We can call it source, universe, um, non-physical energy. Lots of words. Use any word you want. Doesn't matter. The word doesn't matter so much. But there's something that's aware of the vehicle that is the body and is the mind but also knows it's not those things. The self is that. And to love that is almost redundant. To say self-love is almost redundant. That self, when you, I don't even want to use the word discover, but when you feel into it, when you either remind yourself of it long enough that you start to feel it more deeply in your heart. Yeah, like I am just spirit. I'm not a human being having a spiritual experience. I'm a spiritual being having a human one. As you feel into that over and over again, you, it comes it becomes real to you, you know, so you realize it. It was real. And then you also discover that that self, that spirit, that source, that godliness or divinity is love. It's just love. It, nothing else. There's no darkness in it at all, no shadows in it at all. So then you say, oh, wow, the self-love thing is redundant. You know, I don't need the word self and love, but we use that, you know, to help folks that maybe don't feel or see it that way. So then self-love or practice of self-love, it's just spending time, and this is a concession to language, but communing with that self. There's not two selves, so you can't commune with it. You basically abide as it. You rest in it. It's a non-thinking mm-hmm. thing. It's a non- So it's just being present. So, so the easiest way to say it is feel into the peaceful aliveness in your body as consistently as humanly possible and notice how that practice lead you to do other things that take care of your mind and your body. And it's not mm. so effortful. It doesn't require so much discipline. It's like feeling the peaceful aliveness. Oh, feels like I can use a nap. Take a nap. <laughs> no big deal. You know, you wake yeah. yourself, you wake up, you feel a little guilty. Oh, I should have been more productive. You say, wait, wait self-love. I tap into the peaceful aliveness again. It's like, no, no, all is well. There's nowhere to get in this life. We're, we're, we're going, it's a journey from, from nowhere to nowhere, from now here now here. So if you tie those words together, it sounds like nowhere. And it's true. We're not going anywhere. There's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you're right. You hit on something so huge. Self-love is more than, it includes, but is more than self-care or taking care of just the body. Mm. And to just dive into the book a bit, the book. this book is not like happiness inside out it's more it's almost like the meditations yeah. of sorts of love 
Would you be able to speak a bit yeah, on that? Um, gosh, I appreciate you so much, Jackie. Um, I do. The questions you asked, they're so sincere. And uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so the, 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 the um, I loved writing Happiness from the Inside Out. Um, it took a lot longer than I expected, um, partly because we had this phenomenal editing team. And boy, they just, thank God for them. <laughs> they were so good, you know, they, they just, just destroyed it over and over again. <laughs> Let's come back with nothing but red marks. I could just see all red, you know. And um, and then after that experience, I just I, I decided, and I'm still continuing to work on this. Like, I don't want to just share my own thoughts about things. I want it to feel like divine downloads. I want, and maybe that's even saying too much. I just want it to feel like inspired thoughts, you know, like inspired. So um, for many years, actually, I just collected downloads I'd get when I wasn't expecting it. Usually, I'm going for a run. Mm. I'm in the shower. In the middle of conversation, all of a second, I'm like, I get this thought. So I collected those and I decided that I wanted to, you know, put them all into a book. And so each page essentially is a meditation on love or self love. Um, it's either one and the same when you dive deep enough. And the idea is to read each one. You can read them in any order. And you don't even have to read the entire page or paragraph that's on that page. Just sit with it and let there be some silence, you know, let it just sink in a little. And sometimes your brain will think about all kinds of ways that to understand or interpret it. That, that's fine. Let, you know, let that happen. But try to sit with it. The idea is we don't need to know a whole lot. We just want to begin to apply the little bit we know already. We mostly know too much is the problem. We don't know too much. So if we can just practice one kick 10,000 times instead of practicing 10,000 kicks once, we'll be blown away by the progress we can make with love and dating, relationships, happiness. Mm. So everyone will have to go pick up. A book because- <laughs> That's right. That's right. Jackie said so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Oh my goodness. I want to be mindful of t- your time here. Um, I guess my last kind of question would be, so love from the inside out is out. What are you up to now? What's next? It's a good question. I remember someone, hmm, I'm trying to think who it was who was asked this question. It was a, it was a prolific author. Um, it was Mark Twain. or But they were asked a question, something like that once. They said, are you working on anything now? What, are you writing something now? And his response was, and I loved it. His response was, I don't know, but probably. <laughs> right? We often don't even realize that something's in, in, in the works. Um, so for me, I... Um, I'm not quite there yet. So yes, um, there's, um, I wrote nine more books and so I'm editing each one, one at a time right now. Um, yeah, um, there's, um, sort of three more, four more sort of full length books, um, that are somewhere between happiness from the inside and love from the inside out. Um, one is on authentic success, um, success from the inside out. Uh, one is on Mm -hmm. bliss from the inside out. One is on peace from the inside out. Um, and so one is on joy from the inside out, but there's just, um, there are different ways of talking about the same thing. Ultimately, uh, and then there's five. There are five books that are meant to be books that have minimal words. It's all about brevity, and and it's an effort to capture an entire teaching in like one line or three lines or three words. I'm trying to capture all of this in fewer and fewer words. Um, wow! Uh, because I just found simplicity and brevity is queen or king, as the case may be. Mm. So beautiful. Wow. Well, we will 
wait for those. <laughs> so we'll be ready. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. It takes me a little while to edit these things. <laughs> <laughs> All I see is yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Lots of edits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and mm, so good. Well, before we sign off, I the community, my community did have some questions yeah. for you. So I'd love to ask those. Okay. First one is, what are common slash sneaky happiness strains and alternative behaviors mm, or yeah. alternate? Yeah. Alternative yeah. behaviors. Um, picking up the phone just because it rings mm. or responding to a notification on your phone just because the notification is ringing unconsciously doing anything, doing anything unconsciously. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to think about what you're doing when you're doing it. You just want to be intentional about knowing that you're doing it. Right. Um, oh, thinking is the biggest one by far. Thinking. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I would argue that all of these happiness drains, uh, our energy sucks. Underneath it is an addiction to thinking to a large extent. A lot of that thinking is unconscious and that's the problem. If you can make the unconscious thinking conscious, then you can do something about it and you can intervene on your own behalf. You can dismiss and ignore thoughts. We do that already. We dismiss and ignore all kinds of thoughts already. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of times during this, you know, um, conversation itself where people have been like, I should do this or I should do that or, right? And, um, and we dismiss them. We ignore them so easily, so effortlessly, enjoyably even, right? So the idea is the same. It's like, let me just practice more time dismissing and ignoring thoughts. Um, so I'd say that's probably the greatest um, energy suck of all. Um, and then on top of that is the sort of answering the phone, um, responding to anybody saying anything just because they've asked or just because they've said, you know, it's like baiting you. It takes two people to, you know, to fight and only one to be happy kind of thing. You know, you don't have to um, attend every fight you're invited to. Um, I would say also trying to get out too far ahead in your life, like forecasting, you know, um, I love, sure, go for the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. Um, also, life has um, its way with us. And I mean that in a really beautiful way. Like you can, um, you don't need to see the entire staircase. You just need to see the next step. Martin Luther King Jr., right? You just need to see the next step. A lot of us become obsessed with knowing what's going to come down the pipe in five years, 10 years, and we will be intentional. It's good to be intentional. Um, but if you care about the future being better, richer, and more successful and happier, make this moment better, richer, more successful and happier and you'll be surprised um the future will be too because the future grows out of the present mm, i love that and i just want to make a comment here because it was kind of orchestrated through what we've spoken about but you are such a testament for flowing with life and letting the next step kind of show itself to you like you were saying on the side of the road someone's like you're gonna be a model and you're like no and then you're like oh all right, maybe. Yeah. And just like you got to where you are today, you didn't, I don't, I can't put words in your mouth, but I'm going to say that I can, you didn't plan for this. No. You weren't like, this is, I'm going to be a celebrity happiness coach. No. <laughs> Dude, it's so funny you say that. I love you saying that so much. You give me shivers, Jackie. And if there's one person you can put words in my mouth, it's you. Uh, I feel like you do a good job of that. <laughs> you would do a great job of that if you, if you, if you wanted. Um, yes. Like, and my mom is a great. Um, it's always reminded me of that. Um, she's a great reminder of that because um, anytime in my life when I've started to get bogged down, it's like, what am I going to do? You know, it doesn't look like I'm going to have enough money for next month or, you know, the next couple months or, you know, where clients going to come from. It's, she always says, she says, honey, um, 
everything great that's happened to you has happened when you've gone to the pool, when you've decided to read that book on not thinking, when you've decided to, you know, go for a walk. And she would usually just recommend, go for a walk, honey, go for another go for a walk. How's that going to fix my life? You know, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be Tuesday. And then Wednesday, same conversation again. Honey, have you gone for a walk today? It's like, oh, oh my gosh. So um, you're right about that. Like everything I look at, I think it's, um, gosh, happiness from the inside out is a good example. Uh, I sent it to many, many publishers. None of them worked out. And then I just said, I'm, I, put it, I put it on the shelf and said, you know, even if I have to print it at Kinko's or at Xerox, um, FedEx, whatever, um, I'll just hand them out and just give them away. The point is to be happy and to share my happiness. So why do I need somebody else to co-sign this tr- dream that I have? And then um, next thing I know, you know, it's getting published. And then same thing with um, the modeling. Um, in fact, um, same thing with an acting job. First acting job got booked. I didn't want to go. I was at the pool. And I had a friend, uh, Melissa, she said, Rob, can you give me a ride at the time? I had, I had a scooter. And she said, can you give me a ride in Vespa to the casting? Are you going to go? And I'm like, I'm not going to go. No way. I just want to sit at the pool and read my book. I'm not going to book that job anyway. And she's like, come on, can you just give me a ride? I said, I'll give you a ride, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay. She said, that's fine. I got there. And as soon as I got the scooter, the producer was standing outside. He said, hey, wh- where are you going? Are, are you here for the casting? And I was like, oh, you know? <laughs> and then he's like, come here, come here. I'm like, oh. And he's like, do you want to, why don't we, he said, I, I know that you're probably here for like the model role, but there's an actor, like an acting role. Do you want to, you want to uh, read for it? And I was like, no, I'm not really an actor. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, and he said, just, just, just read these few, these two lines. And because I really didn't care too much, I just wanted to go home. I did pretty good, I guess. <laughs> he pulled me for the role. And then that became, you know, South Beach on the CW for a while. And then that's how I met Dennis Williams. And then she wrote a forward to my book. And then same thing with the E story. I mean, um, the story there, like, I was at an airport and there was a, this really sweet, beautiful woman in the corner and she was crying with this cute little puppy. And I, I just felt um, her sadness. So I just went over and said, hey, are you okay? You know, do you need some water? Like, I don't want to bother you, but I just want to make sure you're okay. I feel like you might be sad. And she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sad. Will you just sit here with me for a little while? And I was like, for, for sure, I'll sit here with you for a little while. We didn't talk about it too much. And then we stayed in touch for about, I don't know, nine years, Jackie, nine years. This is friends. Wow. Um, I don't think she really knew too much about what I did. I didn't know too much about what she did. We just check in and say, how you doing? And then one day she calls me and says, hey, Rob, um, what is it you do again? And I said, well, I, you know, I, I'm a happiness coach and an author. And she said, uh, you ever do any TV? I said, yeah, I've done a little TV. And she said, do you want to um, audition for this? It's like a it's like a host role on uh, Famous Single on E. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I just want to help people. I've kind of gone down that path before and I'm not an entertainer. I'm a helper. And she said, well, why don't you just take the interview and tell them that and see what they say. And next thing you know, I did that for two years. And then that led to a thing on own for a year. I mean, it's to your point, Jack, I say all this to say, um, I don't know what the hell I'm doing with my life either. (laughs) You know, I just trust. Just show up. Be you. And allow, like, I think that's what's so beautiful about it is that we try to think our future into existence and there's such a higher divine intelligence at work that will give us things far beyond what our mind could ever imagine if we're just open to that magic. You nailed it. Couldn't have said it better. You should put that up on billboards and uh, TV screens. I mean that really because that's that's precisely the way I feel. Um, I have an expression. My dad used to have an expression. He'd say, take care of the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves kind of thing and um i sort of say take care of presence and presence is another way for me to talk about god or divine intelligence or universal intelligence 
take care of presence and presence will take care of you. And so the idea there is just relax. You can't help yourself mm. in the world in any greater way than by relaxing. And I mean, relaxing your body, yes, but relaxing your mind. Even as you do things with your body, just relax your mind, you know? And if anything, feel that peaceful aliveness inside that we'll call God or life or source. Just feel into it. Just commune with it. Just spend time with it the way I would spend time with you, Jackie. Not to get something from you, you know? Just to spend time with you because I love connecting with you. You know, you don't have to say anything. You don't have mm. to do anything. Just, just, let's just sit. Let's just, let's just be for a little while. And then what you find is that, you know, Jackie's giving you a million dollars, a hundred dollars, a million dollars, like, that's the idea, right? Like, or whoever, you know, in this case it's divine. Of course, yeah, you know, like yeah. all of a sudden there lives all these miracles. <laughs> and sometimes the miracles don't look like miracles at first. And that's the challenge and opportunity. You know, they're not always um, beautifully packaged or wrapped in terms of our human mind. And so you think this isn't what I want at all. But if you hang in there and you stay open, to your point, you discover it's even better than what you were wishing for, even better than what you could have scripted or planned for. Mm. So beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what is, next question, what is the first step or activity to help one self-doubt? To challenge each doubt. Challenge. Mm. So I'd say if you're feeling really self-doubting, distraction is the best tool, okay? Um, distract yourself with anything that feels better. Um, if you try to outthink your doubt, you won't <laughs> do a very good job at that, okay? Yeah, so you, you, you want to distract yourself from the doubt for a little while? Go do something else. Go for a walk, pet the dog, look at a sunset, read a book. And then when you're feeling a little bit better, your mood is, ri- um, when it will, it will rise on its own. Then at that mm-hmm. point, it's when you want to sort of challenge those thoughts. And Byron Katie does beautiful work around this, but She's in a form of abbreviated cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what it really is. But she just says, look for turnarounds. So take that thought, whatever it is. Let's say it's a self-doubt. Um, I can't accomplish X. Whatever it is. She says, what's the exact opposite of that thought? I can accomplish X. Right? And then she says, look for evidence that that's true. Just look for evidence that it's true. That's a very simple practice. And you don't give up until you find some sources of evidence, right? Some pieces of evidence. And that's all you're doing is that you're, Actually, like a really good or bad lawyer, you're deciding the verdict in advance, what the outcome is you want to be in advance. And then you're looking for evidence, you're cherry picking evidence and data to support that belief that you want to have. And you have to be religious about it. You have to be, you can't be circumspect about it. That's the one thing about confidence, for instance, and about happiness too. If you think that you're going to become confident by looking at the things that you don't feel confident about, you know, and thinking about those and talking about those, and by thinking and talking about the things that you are confident about. Like at the same time, it's not going to work. You're not going to get very far. You have to be single-minded in your focus on just building confidence. It doesn't have to be a snow job. In fact, it shouldn't. It should be believable. So you might have to start with really small things about why you deserve or should be confident. But you'll find that if you practice that long enough, you will rewire your brain, about 22 to 66 days, to begin doing it um, much more effortlessly, enjoyably, and effectively. Uh, but that's a critical piece. Most of us say uh, we do two things. We either prioritize competence over confidence. So that mm. means that no matter how you know um, competent you are, you never actually become very confident. Um, the other, in fact, competence erodes and compromises confidence a lot of the time. Dunning-Kruger effect. So if anybody's bored, you can go look up the Dunning-Kruger effect. But it's the idea that the more you know about something, the more you know how much you don't know about it. Okay, so that crushes your confidence. So if you think you're going to become more confident, 
right, right, <laughs> becoming more talented or competent is not gonna not gonna get you very far. Okay. Um, okay. So you want to prioritize confidence over even competence, and then you want to be single-minded in building a case for it. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. Love that too of the piece of what you're saying, like using your mind for you versus against yes. you. <laughs> um, next question. This is, we, we kind of answer this, but how to stop being a chronic overthinker? Um, there's a practice I love called micromeditations. And micromeditation is very simple. Um, you know, hopefully we all have a hundred more years left in these beautiful human flesh costumes. Um, maybe we only have a day. Maybe we only have an hour or less. We don't know. We never know. And so the idea is to just sincerely, but not seriously. So sincerely remind yourself of that fact. It's not to be morbid. It's just to be honest. And then you say, this is not something to worry about. This is something to celebrate. We're to celebrate mm-hmm. this precious, priceless, prosperous present moment. And I'm going to do it by letting all my thoughts go and by juicing or milking this one moment, this one breath for as much joy as I can possibly get out of it. And I'm going to only do it to feel better, to feel good. I'm going to do it in a hedonistic, selfish way. Screw everybody else. Screw everything else in the world. Forget the world. Forget everybody else. Forget yourself even. Just say for one second, for one breath in my life, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this breath like I've never done before. So you let all your thoughts go. You breathe in through your nose. Let your stomach expand. Breathe out of your mouth. You let your stomach contract. That's it. And then I would recommend that people do no more than one breath at a time in the beginning. You'll Trust me, you'll, you won't feel, sometimes you'll feel a lot better. Sometimes you won't feel much better at all. But there'll be a temptation to string these together. Resist that temptation in the beginning a little. Because this practice is meant to be executed perfectly each and every time. Something that we don't do in meditation. When we're in meditation, most of the time we're practicing, let's say, not doing it right. We're becoming, more, you know, um, and, by, and by doing it right and by doing it perfectly, I simply mean enjoying it purely for itself. If you try to get good at it, you'll never get good at it and you won't enjoy it either. If you try to enjoy it, not only will you get really good at it really fast, you'll enjoy it, which is the point of it, right? So um, mm-hmm. it's easy to forget. I think, you know, we get so consumed in trying to live a happy life that we forget. It's the happy moments when strung together that make for a happy life. Um, you know, it takes pearls to make a pearl necklace. So just... Focus on the pearls, this pearl here, this pearl mm. here. So um, I'd say the micromeditation is probably one of the best ways. If you think about it and hear what I've said there, there's another way of talking about it, which is like feeling into the peaceful aliveness in your body. So start with the breath. It's easier. Over time, you won't need to stop what you're doing. Even when you practice micromeditation, you don't have to stop what you're doing. You can still take this breath when you're in line, you're driving, you're talking. Over time, you'll be able to let go of the breath as a, as a focal point, and you'll be able to focus on the energy that you feel in your hands and your feet, this peaceful aliveness that's always within you, you can just feel into that as often as you can throughout the day. Right? You just feel into that. And the idea is you let your thoughts go. When thoughts surface or arise, you just let them pass like clouds in the sky, like a song on the radio, no judgment, no condemnation, no criticism, not trying to change anything. You just let it pass. Right? Um, mm. If you can practice that, so this is all, if you think about it, if we were talking about from a scientific perspective, we could talk about it as somatic experiencing, somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. So we're getting into or focusing on the experience of the body instead of the explanations in the brain, right? So you will not 
for the most part, overcome stress and anxiety by trying to think your way out of it. It generally doesn't work. Um, you can challenge your thoughts and everything like that when you're feeling a little bit better, but a better practice is just notice where in your body you feel the stress or anxiety, focus on the temperature and the texture and the color, you know, and then return to something like your breath or feeling into the peaceful aliveness. So beautiful. Thank wow. you. Seeing a theme here. Stop. Yes, oh. that's right. That's right. You can't outthink no. anything. No. I used to work in the um, addiction community for a while as a spiritual counselor. And um, there was an expression that I love that they share there. Um, it is, they always say, your best thinking got you here. <laughs> so that was an invitation to like, let go of thinking. It's not that great. I know you love it, but like your best thinking turned you into the act that you are. And we're all addicts in yeah. some way, right? But they say thinking is the, you know, sort of underlying addiction that we all have that everything else sort of springs from. But yes, um, your best thinking got you here, wherever you are, stressed out, anxious, depressed. Right, right. That's good. Um, okay, last like deeper question and then we'll move to some fun ones. Some like quick fire. Um, what are some high leverage things we can do to support happiness in daily life? High leverage things we can do to support happiness in daily life? Um, mm -hmm. Well, I would certainly say start with a low hanging fruit. There are things that you, whoever you are out there, know would make you happier. And you might feel some guilt around that. Um, for lots of parents, for instance, it's having some more alone time. Like I know it's hard. You can feel guilty that you're not spending time with your kids um, or with your partner. Um, other cases, it's making hard decisions, um, you know, separating from someone, um, maybe creating some distance with someone that you love. Um, just because you create distance, that doesn't mean you don't love them. In many cases, it means you can love them more from a distance, mm. better from a distance, than up close and personally. Um, I would say um, it helps to have a bit of a routine. You don't have to be religious or dogmatic about it, but that certainly helps. I would say the most important thing you do is track for yourself your happiness islands and happiness deserts. Okay. That's the easiest thing. Just notice when you're in pain, <laughs> write it down, <laughs> write it down. What's going on here? Okay. And you want to get those things out of your life or, and you can do that by reducing, eliminating, automating, you know, regulating, um, outsourcing, delegating, reducing, yeah. And, or, and, and, or innovating. But the idea is get them off your plate. Right. Um, and then just schedule more of the happiness islands into your life. I'd say that's what you want to do. You want to customize right. and personalize all of this for yourself. It's easy. And I love science. But it's easy to feel and think that what worked for Rob or Jackie will work for you. And you might have something way better and more brilliant than we've ever come up with. Mm -hmm. um, so trust your own intuition. Mm, I love that. Very, It's very, there's no cookie cutter way. It's very personalized. No, mm. no. You, you can certainly load the dice in ways that are likely to benefit you. But at the end of the day, it's your life and your journey and you have to walk it. Yeah. Mm. So beautiful. Okay. Fun questions. What do you do to raise your vibration? Yeah, I don't think. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. As soon as I, if I get a second, I don't want to, the second that I want to feel better, I'm like literally thought is the first thing I kill. <laughs> I'm like, nope. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Yes. Love. And, and, and one thing, by the way, that helps you to not think easily and effortlessly is um, ooh, it's being in the presence of beauty. Mm. Okay. So on wonder, so from a scientific perspective, we talk about on wonder. On wonder, it allows you to feel deeply present in the moment. And when it's something that's so, that's why we love love. That's why we love, because in those moments when you feel such deep love or intimacy, why we love sex, why we love great food, because it, 
easily and effortlessly and enjoyably and organically allows your mind to just be quiet for a second. You know, the experience that you're having is ineffable. It's, it's something that can't be captured or expressed in words or in thoughts. So if you can put yourself in the presence of beauty and experience more awe and wonder in your life, you'd be surprised at how quiet your mind often gets without you having to try so hard. Um, so yeah, I'd say that that's probably Mm. Love that. Thank you for sharing. What is your favorite way to have fun? Oh, that's a great question. Man, that's a great question. Have fun. I, this will sound true. I love music. Any, any of the music is helpful. Um, I like moving a lot. So um, in sports, I'm definitely lifting weights and running. Um, it doesn't sound like fun to people. Like, oh, lifting weights, <laughs> running. But something about the music and just you know moving a little bit, yeah. I think helps. Yeah. Also, I love dancing. Uh, I love dancing. So I'm not a fantastic dancer. I can do a two-step. Okay. I have a little bit of that rhythm, but I, I don't, I'm not trained. <laughs> so I can you know, do that. I would say that for me. And then I love reading, uh, honestly, going to dinner. Conversations like this actually are at the top of my list, mm. I will say. In fact, I'm convinced I was depressed because I couldn't or didn't have conversations like this, like ever. So this is at the very top of my list. Mm. Well, thank you. Agreed. Love Love conversations that are so nourishing on so many levels. Facts. Yes, absolutely. Um, what's your favorite way to relax? It's interesting. It's the same answer, I'd say, mostly. Um, I do love naps. <laughs> there's nothing better than sleeping. There are, there's very few things that can compete with sleep. I'll tell you now. I don't, I don't know if you can if that resonates with anyone, but like I, the things that we abhorred as a kid, we love as adults, mm-hmm. and I do love sleeping. I mean – it's amazing. You can just go unconscious for six, seven hours, eight hours. And it just feels so good, you know? Yeah. So I do love that. Um, that's one of my best ways to relax. I like going to the pool. I love going to the beach. Um, I also love reading. So I've noticed that most of the things that I feel a lot of joy around mm-hmm. and even have a lot of fun with allow me to be relaxed and alert. With the exception is probably sleep there. But yeah. mm. And last, I'm very excited for this one. What is your go-to dance song? Oh my gosh! Wow, I still love Empire State of Mind. Oh, That's a good Alicia one. Keys, Jay Z. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. I mean, I just and I'm a big like '90s, 2000s like R&B, hip hop guy. So like anything with Ja Rule yeah. and J Lo and Fat. <laughs> J- I mean, oh man, I love that stuff. Um, you know, also I'd say I've been listening to Drake's new album. Um, I love Taylor Swift. I love Ariana Grande. I mean, thank you. I still like Thank You Next a lot. <laughs> oh, and Seven Rings. So Seven Rings song is amazing. Um, Alicia Keys, I can listen to Alicia Keys all day. I mean, she's just so soulful. She mm. just sings with Talk such about beauty. power. Yeah, right. Um, I will always say, you know, of course, Vanessa Williams love, I mean, all her music is fantastic. Um, I love, I have a very, I think, eclectic taste in music. Honora Jones, mm. Dido, Sade, uh, you know, but, da- but in terms of dance, gosh, it's a tough one. But I would say that there's something about that 2000s you know, R&B hip hop era that just always gets me. I don't know. <laughs> it gets you going. It just. Yeah. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite one, Jackie? Oh, my good. My go-to dance song. Yeah. No. I mean, I, you know, world hold on by Bob Sinclair. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> Fisher did a rework to it and yeah, really like the lyrics, the music. I feel like that if I had to choose like a go-to, but I am very similar all over the spectrum of, love so much so many different artists and so much different music that it like really depends on what kind of 
<laughs> what kind of dance? I'm. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, you, you, know, you nailed it. Like I didn't know I loved. I didn't know I loved Latin music so much until I got to Miami. Yeah. And I'm like, oh wow! And it's funny because I don't. My Spanish is like uh, so so, but I can t- I can sing all the words yeah. to all the weird <laughs> songs on Spanish. It's like oh my gosh. Um. So yeah, I feel you on that. It depends what mood we're in, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful and appreciative. And this was just, I couldn't have asked for a better way to begin my Friday. So thank you. You're so welcome, Jackie. I am so deeply grateful and I love and appreciate you so much. I mean, you have been Mm -hmm. um, such an incredibly, um, just incredibly priceless gift in my life. And um, I just feel so overwhelmed um, with inspiration and with appreciation for the fact that you're in my life and that we're and that we're friends and that we're connected, I hope to be connected forever. Um, and I just want to thank you for having me you know, on your podcast and inviting me to conversation. Um, it's a conversation that you and I have, um, I think, regularly enough. You know, anyway, we could have more regularly, but to actually have it recorded in this way is um, extra special. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And. For anyone that listens to this and they're like, I need more Robert Mack in my life, how do they find you? Yeah. So you can find me at my website at coachrobmack.com. You can find uh, both my books, Happiness from the Inside Out, Love from the Inside Out, and the other books that will follow. Um, Everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can find me on most social media platforms, probably most consistently Instagram at official. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. My honor. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Shift Your Paradigm. I hope you've been inspired to see things differently, understand yourself a little bit better, and know that anything is possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and connect with me on social media. Stay tuned for more transformative conversations to come. Until next time, keep shifting your paradigm.